You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've never done an entire episode about autism before, so I had to spend at least the last couple hours thinking of all the questions I could possibly ask and try and remove the assholiness out of it. Because <laughs> no, like I, I'm, I'm dead serious. Like I was actually really trying to think of some serious questions, and a lot of them just come off extremely condescending. And uh, hopefully today we can go ahead and uh, destigmatize some of that explain a little more about what's going on with you particularly let's just go ahead and jump into it you had a show and now you went ahead and started a new program which is all about life and marriage and what goes on in your world as somebody who lives on the autism spectrum married to somebody who's also on the autism spectrum so i guess to kick things off did you choose to be autistic? And if so, why have you chosen to remain autistic? That's an excellent question. Um, well, I mean, jump right into that. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because um, so most people who are diagnosed on the autism spectrum, they're diagnosed very young. You know, usually the parents jump on that pretty uh, quickly. Uh, in the case of um, me and my parents, you know, um, they, they, I don't think they ever once thought about doing it when, um, when I was still in high school. So I graduated high school still, you know, like having no idea what I really was. And, uh, and, um, the only thing that we were able to come to was like something like ADHD. You know, we did go see a doctor for uh, ADHD. Um, I did take like ADHD meds, which I would argue just made me worse. Um, it seems like to Adderall. Yeah. Yeah. I, actually exactly like Adderall. Um, did I choose to be, I don't know. I mean, maybe, <laughs> uh, legitimately though, I, um, found out on June 25th, 2015, I was uh, diagnosed on the autism spectrum. It was high functioning, which, How old were you, you know, 20, 
uh, and I actually just turned 20, like the month before. Is that, please, please go ahead and correct me. Like, do people usually go in to get that stuff checked that later in life? You know, I don't actually know very many people. Like I said, um, most people are very young. You know, like the people I know in my life who are also on the autism spectrum. I mean, they got checked out like when they were as young as nine or 10. Um, In my case, uh, I think one of the reasons why we decided to um, uh, check me out, see if I had autism was because at the time I was living with family friends because my parents live quite a good distance away from, from uh, the city. They live out in the middle of nowhere, uh, you know, um, much like our mutual friend, Dan Smots from the system is down. He and, lives in the um, shed. I don't even know if that wife and kids that he keeps talking about are even his. Uh, you know, I know him personally. We go to the same church and even I don't, I don't know if uh, they're he looks real. Like, he looks like a shed person. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he does. I mean, he, he looks like a relic straight out of the 2000s, man. All Lincoln Park and Eminem and whatnot. Dragging but, uh, a Game Boy Color in his cargo pants pocket. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, like, before you know it, he's got a Zoom, you know, in his pocket somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, but um, it's, yeah, kind of like uh, Dan Smots. But, no, um when I was diagnosed, it was because we felt like it was important due to the fact that I was living quote unquote on my own with family friends because I didn't drive at the time. Uh, I attempted driving, uh, like about 11, 10 years ago and it just did not work out for me. Anxiety was, well, how do you know you, how do you, how, how do you know you were autistic and you weren't just part Asian? <laughs> uh, no, actually, I come from a French heritage, even though I um, do not have a French bone in my body, it would seem like. Um, yeah, no, it was um, there were signs, you know, they were like there were signs throughout, especially that time when, um, you know, when I was living with family friends. That's when that stuff really came out, because when you're living with your parents, you know, you feel like you got this, you know, almost like this protective like umbrella over you and um you know and you, and you don't learn certain things um quickly enough uh, that will help you be independent so when i was um living with family friends uh they even kind of started to notice uh, signs you know there was just stuff that seemed to fly over my head like certain social cues um verbal cues it used to bother me so much when i couldn't interpret people's facial expressions like that would drive me nuts i would overthink that stuff like all the time um you know there were certain things that i just couldn't really figure out i you know despite the fact that my dad like had me read books on finances um i wasn't i wasn't good at it at all you know that was stuff that ne- that was stuff that needed extra training uh, serious anxiety behind the wheel when I would try driving. There were several people, um, you know, that tried to get me into driving and they couldn't do it. And that was the reason why I was living with family friends in the city in the first place was so that I could take the bus to go to college. Um, I would have to do like go into one of those like disability services at um, college so I can take take tests by myself because for some reason. Um, this is after president. this is before or after you were diagnosed. Uh, before, you know, before. Yeah. Um, 
a lot of different things that just sort of like added up again, just not understanding social cues, not being able to like remember things a lot, which is kind of like tied to ADHD in a way. Sometimes autism and ADHD can, can go hand in hand. Um, and also just seeming to lack empathy. Apparently I just didn't give a shit about other people. <laughs> um, you know, like if, um, if other people were sad or they were angry or something like that, if it didn't affect me, then I, you know, I didn't care. Um, I, I tended to lack that empathy that allowed me to connect with other people on an emotional level still do. Um, you know, just stuff like that and just sort of added up. And then eventually my dad was like, you know what, let's get this checked out. Cause I really struggled in high school. Um, and I was really struggling then it was pretty clear that I wasn't ready to be independent, but we needed to figure out how we can overcome, you know, some of my worst habits so that I could reach that point. Um, you know, I was not an organized person mentally or physically. Um, I would skip over basic things, you know, like hygiene that would um, um, that would just allow me to be presentable in society. Um, I, I always kind of did feel like that outcast. I, I tended to always attract the really weird people and they would have autism, too, or they would have ADHD. Just about every single friend of mine, you know, at the time and even now had, had something. You know, I seem to build that personal community um, of of autists, I guess. Um, does that answer your question at all? I that, feel like that, I'm that, that does. And I mean, that that must be like a weird identity type of situation, because it's like you live your entire life and then you get to this point where you're diagnosed with something like that. And at that point, was it like, did it feel different? Was it like, oh, I, I have autism now? Like how does how does that sink in when when somebody tells you that because it's like you know it's like an albino person finally discovering that they're black they didn't think of themselves as black they thought that they were you know just really 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 scared of the sun but suddenly you know that that happens and yeah I'm like, using yeah. a joke but I just really don't have another example I can only imagine right. how I would feel should somebody come in and say that about me? Because while well, you may have expected it, it's, it's just kind of like at 20, that must be, that must be deep. So, you know, that's a perfect example. Remzo it reminds me of the uh, albino dude from Logan, where you literally expose him to the sun. And he starts burning off. Yeah. <laughs> so, that guy was like, there was something up with him. Albinos just don't, don't get along in society, but yeah, I mean, what, 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 what did, what, what was it like? I mean, do you yeah, see well, yourself as an autistic person? Do you see yourself as a person with autism? I mean, mm -hmm. I feel like for a lot of people, they kind of lead with that. It's like that kid in South park, uh, Tom Malkison or whatever, Scott Malkison, he's got diabetes. It's like, he, he just kind of leads with that. I feel like that's how it is for a lot of people with, you know, physical or cognitive disabilities or something. At that point, it kind of becomes their identity. Right. Well, you're not wrong about the fact that um, being diagnosed at 20, you know, cut real deep because uh, it did. Um, I remember when I first got the diagnosis report and I do explain some of these things in my new podcast, but, you know, I can explain them here. Basically, um, I get the diagnosis report. That thing was like 25 pages long, which I can only imagine like when I'm like skimming through it and it's like 25 pages long. I'm thinking to myself, wow, there really must be a lot wrong with me. <laughs> um, you know, whereas like 
other diagnosis reports I know about that people got, those were only like three or four pages. It's like, I get 25. Wow. Okay. Yeah, there's quite a lot here to unpack. I am a special snowflake. Um, So I'm reading through the diagnosis report, though. And there was a lot listed there. There was obviously the stuff that the uh, psychologist was able to unpack just through asking me uh, questions, um, you know, and kind of like associating different things with them. He said I even had some symptoms consistent with um, post-traumatic stress disorder, even though there's no key event in my life that would really trace that back to it. Um, I remember like reading through the report and it was really sad because it wasn't just a diagnosis, um, you know, leading to going to the autism spectrum. It was also kind of a an analysis of where my mindset was at the time, you know, like anxiety was something that was so serious for me that it was almost impossible for me to um, have a good focus on the, on things that needed to get done. Um, You know, I struggled to kind of like balance between like work and uh, school. Um, I was a very, very easily distracted person. And I felt very vulnerable at the time. I was kind of sliding into depression. Uh, My first girlfriend had broken up with me just several months before I got diagnosed. So, you know, um, there was kind of that on my shoulders. Um, Oh, dude, I mean, it it was pretty awful. I look back on it now and I think it's kind of funny, but 2015 me didn't think it was funny at all. And, um, but another thing that really stuck out to me in that diagnosis report was that the psychologist kind of concluded that, um, the kind of mindset I had was I had a severe lack of a sense of direction in my life. You know, I really had absolutely no clue what I was doing. Who is, who is the doctor to make a claim like that though? I mean, that, that sounds like everything else sounds like it's trying to help you that, that goes into kind of a subjective category. Feels a little bit personal, right? Yeah. That that Um, feels like that, that sounds like kind of a, and I'm not saying they meant it with malice, but if I heard somebody say that about me, when I'm just going in to get examined like that, I I feel like that's kind of like a personal attack. Yeah. It's like, whether it's right or wrong, it's not really his, his or her place to say something like that yeah it's like dude i I came here to find out whether or not i have the x gene not you know like some therapist visit um no but at the same time though you know he was right i made that very clear in uh, my interview with him that i just i just felt numb at the time yeah i was going to college but i didn't really know why you know yeah i was doing this part-time job but i wasn't really going anywhere with it you know the best thing i can say about it was that i didn't get fired like the first two jobs i had before that um so you know it i i do remember that report cutting pretty deep because you know when you put everything together about you know like my attention span um my interests, you know, like I also have the tendency to be like obsessive with certain things and only have like two or three interests at a time. And I want to like talk obsessively about them or like do things surrounding them, which um, like I had to learn over the years to prioritize differently, you know, shift my priorities around so that the things that will actually benefit me in the long run prioritize I don't know, Star Wars, you know, or whatever 
um, whatever my obsession or my hyperfixation would be at the time. And um, because I was in that place in my life, though, where I just felt directionless, I think that's one of the reasons why the report cut so deep, because it told me everything that was wrong with me, but it didn't necessarily give me pointers as to where I can go from there. Um, and that was, uh, that was something that I had to learn by myself. I had to take several steps back. I had to move back in with my parents. Uh, I had to take public transportation. That was primarily for elderly people <laughs> just to get into, um, into town, go to college, go to work, all that type of stuff. It really felt like a massive step backwards. And I, it, it took me at least three years before I was finally to, able to go out again and do things on my own. But at that point, I had a better sense of how to manage my finances, how to get around, you know, all that type of stuff. Um, people on the autism spectrum tend to take longer. They all, almost have like a, a delay in being able to um, learn how to get certain life skills down. And it's not even uncommon for, um, for those people to have to go back to their parents um, eventually and try to relearn things. Um, so yeah, that, that report, I mean, it, it, it was kind of like a sucker punch to me, even though a lot of it shouldn't have surprised me. But yeah, I was 20 years old. I, um, I was already trying to live independently. So it's not like I was nine or 10 and my parents were like, okay, now, I, now we know exactly how to raise our child until you know, he graduates high school or something like that. Um, it, it definitely put me in a much more awkward position. Do you, how do you feel when you have to get back to that point? Because from, from everything you just kind of brought up, that's a huge stripping of, of independence. I I've talked about it, um, on early episodes of the show, you know, like I'm, I'm very lucky, especially with how the, how the last few years were that after college, I moved home one, because I was dealing with a very severe, uh, neck and back injury. And then I was also just chronically unemployed. And luckily I say, luckily I had my family around me because at least that way I had a place to live during the pandemic. But mm -hmm. overall, like, well, I, there, there are definitely many benefits and I, I consider myself blessed that my, I wasn't a total burden on my parents you know, I, the one thing that bothered me was that I felt I was doing something wrong. Like here I am in my early and mid twenties at the time. And I, I'm not very independent. I, I feel like I have, I, I have either stunted my own personal growth or I have done something wrong. And I, I tell people, even if you're not making a ton of money, if it's enough to at least get out, you know, a couple, you know, a year, even a couple of years at home, sometimes if it's purely for the financial reasons, that makes sense. Like that's very common. And I don't think people should be judged for that, but it gets to a point where it's like, you know, you need that sense of you're on your own. You make your own decisions. You need the good and bad that come with it because that's just part of being an adult. So I can only imagine going from this diagnosis to immediately taking steps back when you had just tried to go about that next phase in your life. Yeah. Well, part of, uh, part of it, and I mean, I won't go too much into detail about it here, but part of it was um, the environment I was, uh, I was living in away from my parents was not a healthy one. And, um, and so that was like one of the biggest reasons why I had to move out, you know, move back. My dad just felt like I wasn't ready. Um, and my habits, my, you know, my mindset just kept like slipping and slipping and slipping the longer I was there. And, um, 
I didn't even really realize how just broken I was by the time I, um, you know, came back to my, uh, to my parents' house. Cause you know, when you go back to your parents' house, like you just feel this, like you said, this independence is stripped away from you, but it also just feels like you lose this position in life where you felt like you were in much more control over yourself and, and your circumstances. Um, you know, and so like when I moved back in with my parents, it just, the habits grew worse. You know, I was like, um, you know, sleep, uh, sleeping a lot more to like this, you know, to unhealthy amounts. Um, my parents had to wake me up multiple times because my ride had was waiting for me in the driveway to take me to work or take me to school, whichever one it was. Um, and I just kind of like, it was, I was very, very passive there. I had no idea what to do. Eventually I finally was able to get myself back up and I was able to, you know, to get out. And that's one of the points of uh, my podcast is to encourage uh, people on the autism spectrum that yeah, you can do this, you know, um, that you can, uh, like just find your passion, find the thing that, um, that, like you were really talented with that you had the skills for and you can make just a, an amazing life out of it. Um, I, I tend to be a very egocentric person, unfortunately. Um, uh, like people on the autism spectrum love to talk about themselves because, you know, by talking about themselves, they're also talking about their interests too, um, sometimes. And, um, and so like, I tend to be an egocentric person so I just completely lost my train of thought where I was going with that. Um, You're an egocentric person. You talk about yourself a lot. Correct. Yes. Um, oh, I don't like to talk about myself too much on the podcast. I want to be more like um, encouraging to people by sharing like little bits of my story here and there so that they can get just enough in order to feel inspired or encouraged and motivated after they're done listening. Let, um, let's, let, let's fast forward uh, a couple of years to, to okay. kind of get to this point. Where, where did the idea of a podcast come down? Because so, so let's fast forward. What, what have you done between when you finally started thing, getting things back together to where we are right now? One, you get married. Yeah. Two, you've got a full-time job. Um, three, you're doing extracurricular things. I know that you worked for a, you, you worked recently as a volunteer for a camp for children in need. And yeah. now what you have is you have a constructive hobby, which is doing a podcast in which you're trying to reach out to people like yourself. And, and we've talked offline. I don't know anybody who does a show like you do. And mm -hmm. I, I'm saying that from a matter of just what I know and also from the research that you and I did when we were looking around. That's what I think is amazing about podcasting, because if there's an area of the world that has not been filled, that doesn't mean that there's not a need for it. It just means that nobody else has gone in and kind of taken the lead. And I think it's it, it, it's kind of, it is kind of funny for me in a way, because when I was on your previous podcast uh, about a year and then some ago, I didn't think you had autism. I thought you were just an <laughs> awkward person starting a podcast. Like many of us, I know I felt awkward starting a podcast. It right. wasn't until you said it that I thought you were being self-deprecating and I'm like, Oh, he, he thinks he's, he's got <laughs> autism because he's kind of weird. It's like, no, it's like, Oh, this is, this is something, this is something different. And it's, it, it's a very, it, it, it must be a vulnerable place. Did you know that you wanted to, talk about this stuff. I mean, I've got insecurities 
And I've got things about myself that I struggle with. And I've got things that I'm not always happy to talk about. I think I've done a good amount of it on, on the run, but this almost seems like I, I I've wondered, and maybe we can discuss this together. Why, why haven't other people on the spectrum come out and done what you're currently doing? Because not, not only are you doing this, you have a Substack account, which I'll link to in the show notes, folks, you should totally go ahead and subscribe to that. You recently got published talking about this over at the mighty.com. I mean, you've gone from just a person who wanted to just have people understand more of this, and you're now an advocate for people on the spectrum to be better advocates for themselves. That's a giant freaking leap in just a couple of years. Yeah. So, I mean, where do I even begin? First of all, as a side note, the Mighty has been um, absolutely amazing. Um, the majority of my subscribers actually come from the Mighty. Um, there awesome. are people, yeah, there are people from the Mighty that found my profile and found that I was like posting links to my Substack on there and they subscribed to, through that. So just, it's awesome. Like I would recommend it for anyone who is like, um, you know, deals with mental health and is trying to share their resources. It's great. It's actually a community that, um, that interacts is, um, is active. It's fantastic. Um, actually I wanted to kind of go back real quick and more directly answer your question as to whether or not I see myself as an autistic person or someone who just happens to be on the autism spectrum for the majority of the time between my diagnosis and now, um, I more or less just saw myself as someone who happened to be on the autism spectrum. I, excuse me, I didn't really think about it too much every day after a little while. I didn't really talk to um, people about it, but it was becoming increasingly clear to me over time that uh, the market was in desperate need of more voices on the autism spectrum. And I mean, forget trying to find anything um, that's about like marriage on the autism spectrum. You're not going to find it out there. I really did try Rimzo. Um, <laughs> you know, I like you, you, could, know, you can literally write the book on this. But it, well, I, I have a story for that, too. So um, shortly after I was diagnosed, my, you know, my dad was like, you should you should write a book about this. There is a draft, you know, on my computer that is not yet finished. And it has been sitting there constantly being tweaked, edited, changed, what have you for like six years at this point. It is also called The Pancake King. That's where the title came from, uh, which I guess for context's sake, that's uh, that name came from um, a pastor that uh, me and my family, we used to go to his church and he called me the Pancake King when we would go to this pancake place and I happened to have more pancakes than everyone else there. I can literally tell this story in 10 seconds and move on. Uh, no one ever nice. has to ask again, right? Um, so, um, yeah, it, it had a lot to do with seeing what the market was lacking because one of the, um, one of the keys to creating content that can be unique to you is creating content that you want to experience. You want to experience, but you can't find it. If you can't find it, why not do it yourself? If you're passionate enough about it, about it, do it yourself. That's why um, my previous podcast, Squeaming, was such an epic failure on, on all levels, because that podcast was just everything I was already listening to. Um, you know, the market is saturated with, you know, political podcasts or libertarians sounding like absolute morons for two hours. Um, That's where the real <laughs> autism insults really start to seep in. 
Uh, yeah, well, the funny thing is uh, John Odermatt on uh, Finding Freedom asked me the same question, like, what do you think of, um, you know, the fact that people call libertarians aut autistic people? And I'm like, I'm not really offended by it, but I find it funny that I'm both. So, um, you know, I, at the end of the day, <laughs> you know, I, if it was directed at me, it'd be a compliment. But um, yeah, no, it, it was mostly the market. So, again, I've had this book that I'm just still tweaking, changing, expanding. I mean, it's hard to come up with a final product when your life keeps changing every year and there's always something you can add, um, something that you can change. And it, it just makes the book better in the process. It will come out. That book will, you know, see the light of day at some point. I, I just can't make any promises on the release date yet. Um, depending on how this podcast is able to take off, then I, I will probably feel more motivated to finish it. Um, but like, you know, like we already established, I tried a podcast that just sounded like a lot of, um, a lot of other podcasts that I was already listening to. It didn't really offer anything new, didn't do anything unique in the market, just kind of drowned in a sea of, uh, irrelevancy really. Um, so this podcast was where I can, where I was finally able to decide, what is it that we really need? And there are several things that come with this. Are you okay with me explaining that? Please. Okay. So number one is the fact that, like I already explained, um, the market is severely lacking in resources when it comes to not just the autism spectrum in general. That has been getting better over the last decade, but there's also the aspect of marriage. Um like I read a bunch of marriage books before I got married, but it had absolutely nothing to do with autism. And while that didn't make the books meaningless, um, I didn't feel like I could connect with those as much. And especially yeah, after if you don't I, mind me asking, how long had you and your wife been together before you got engaged or before uh, you got be married? Before we got married, that was about um, four years or three and a half years, actually. Um, so, so, that's well years. so that's well after the diagnosis. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yep. And um, so we, we were dating for three and a half years and been married for two and a half. And um, yeah, it, it has a lot to do with the market. Like there are a few like rare exceptions. I don't know if you ever saw the documentary on Netflix called Autism and Love. That was one. No. Uh, yeah. Where it was actually two people on the autism spectrum. They were engaged. So there was a slight difference, but it was there. Um, and then there was a Netflix series that came out recently. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was called, but it was about like, they were, it was a reality show where they were putting two autistic people together, you know, to see if they'd be dating material and stuff like that. And there was at least one married couple in there. But again, these are extremely rare exceptions and there are no books. There are no podcasts about it. I scoured like Apple podcasts for this stuff. And the most that you'll find is you'll find a podcast about autism from some, you know, like quote unquote expert who isn't on the autism spectrum herself. She just researches this stuff. And then there's like um, maybe a podcast or two about like what parents can do for all their, for their autistic children. And that's all fine and dandy, but there was nothing about marriage, like nothing about this stuff. I was looking at this stuff right before my podcast launched just to like really make sure that there was nothing I can find in the market. And you know, there just was nothing. So that's, that's number one. Um, number two was the fact that there is almost nothing about like marriage on the autism spectrum out there in the market 
But boy, the market has no shortage, on the other hand, for negativity and pessimism. And honestly, this near nihilism that has just really been, you know, choking culture for the last two, three years. I would say that it kind of more or less started mildly in 2016. But it's just gotten to the point now where there is so much noise that it's become almost impossible to tune out. And I became very disenfranchised over the last half year with, um, you know, political podcasts or podcasts from, you know, I mean, even like libertarians, right-leaning people. I mean, they always talk about how like how paranoid and over the top the the left is, but come on, you know, the the right is probably just as bad, if not worse. I I have found that if if you look at and it, it's especially been since uh, since I moved out to Wisconsin. Uh, mm-hmm. If if you look at my podcast feed right now, it's all sports and comic books. It's all yes. sport. It's all sports and comic books. All the audio books I'm listening to are biographies. And if if people look at like my, you know, if if someone were to pull up my YouTube right now, it's a lot of finance stuff because I I you know I love learning about finance. But mm-hmm. it's also a lot of sports. Now, if people ask me, Remzo, are you a sports person? I, I wouldn't have typically said that. I I I've, I really got into sports over the last couple of years because I needed an outlet. Because, like you said, there's just so much shit out there that a, a lot of what I do with my job it involves me having to know what's going on in the world. Right. But you know, there there needs to be a release for that at some point. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like a lot of people, they, they, they fall into, into three, one of three areas and I'll shut up. So, because I want to hear what to say. One is they, they're just passive consumers. They never create anything. They just love to take it in and bitch about it. The second right. are the people that continue to consume all of the stuff, but they don't, but they want to do something about it. Like they want to start a new hobby. They want to stop a bad habit or they want to do something, but they're still struggling to find it. And then there are people like you and me where it's like, if we actively see something that's not good for us and not good for others, we're either going to go directly away from it or we're going to create stuff. I'd like to think that the stuff I create goes directly away from a lot of the bad things I'm trying to get away from in the world. Mm -hmm. But I also have things that are intentional to pull me out of it in a Mm -hmm. way. And if if I didn't have that, I would be a much more different person. Yeah. And actually this is a habit I was, uh, I've been starting to like develop over the last couple of weeks. Most of my podcasts at this point, almost all of them used to be political. Now almost none of them are. And, you know, and, and it's like, it's not like I was like cherry picking and I'm like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll I'll put away the, you know, whatever the left-leaning podcasts, but I'll keep the libertarian ones. No, libertarians are like, you know, just guilty of some really stupid crap. And um, I used to love Timcast. Now I can't stand it. I always thought there was a third eye underneath his beanie. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Um, I, I, you know, like kudos to them for trying to like start, um, you know, kind of an alternative culture and stuff like that. But I can't stand Timcast anymore. I, I, am like on the edge when it comes to louder with Crowder at this point. It's just for me, people have just become so alarmist and so negative and so again, near nihilistic that we have forgotten 
um, to do one of the most important things that we're supposed to do while we're still here. And that is inspire and motivate and encourage the next generation. If we keep, you know, if we keep telling them every episode of our show that, you know, like by 2030, they will own nothing and be happy. And that is their future. It is set in stone. There's nothing they can do about it. We are in a, you know, a collision course, then we will have failed the next generation. You know, if we can't, if we can't encourage them and inspire them and say, you can do this, you know, like do this to better your life. And if you work on bettering your life, you can better the lives of everyone around you. If we don't give them some sense of hope, then yeah, the next generation really is screwed and it'll be a self-fulfilling prophecy. And yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, please. Oh, okay. And so I was just looking at that because I saw how that was affecting my mind, you know, and I'm like reading all these, just these garbage hot takes on Twitter and, um, you know, listening to a couple of uh, podcasts that were just all negativity, all pessimism. I mean, I can't, I, you know, like, I can only listen to Tim Poole talk about civil war like so much before I'm just feel like flinging my phone out the window. Um, and it's like, we need to bring that, that positivity back, you know, yes, a lot of stuff in the world sucks, but we have like all this stuff to kind of quote Gary Collins a little bit. We live in the best place in the world. (laughs) We live Yeah. He says this maybe 50 times and yet somehow that's less annoying than, you know, everything that Tim repeats, but yeah, Gary Collins says we live in the freest country in the world. If you can't make it here, you're not going to make it anywhere. He's telling the truth, you know, and it just, I I think young people really desperately need some positivity. They need hope. They need encouragement. And so that's what I feel like I can do with my podcast. And obviously it's more directed towards people on the autism spectrum, but that's where I feel like my community is. I want them to feel like they can have a future, that they can be financially successful, raise a family, find their passion, and live the best life that they can. So, so those are the two main reasons for me. So how how was it uh, talking to your wife about this? Because now you're you're really the center of your podcast, The Pancake King. And, and folks, I'll go ahead and link to the show in the show notes. You can go ahead and check it out afterwards. You know, now, now you're more of the focus. Now you're really bringing people into your life. Um, you know, what was that conversation like with your wife? Because, you know, part of the tagline is life on, you know, life and marriage on the spectrum. You know, that means that you're going to talk about your marriage. That means you're going to talk about her in some of these spaces. What, what was that like? Was that an intentional conversation or, or was it something you had to kind of, you know, warm her up towards? Um, so I'll, I'll put it this way. You know, I explained to her that I was going to do a podcast. Um, you know, I wanted to do a podcast about autism and life and marriage on the spectrum. And uh, her response was a very, very autistic. Okay. And, uh, you know, and she was totally uh, supportive of that. And, um, you know, like she's not in every episode, but it is very much a collaborative um, effort outside of it, because I'll usually for certain episodes where it's just me running solo, uh, I'll write the scripts for it and she will read them and give me feedback and kind of let me know if there's something I should change or maybe something about her she'd rather not have in there. Um, So it is very much uh, collaborative, like behind the scenes. 
Um, what's been the response from people as you've already released a couple episodes so far? Do they, do they see the difference between this and your old show? If they knew about it? Well, no one was listening to my old show anyway. (laughs) So we can't, you know, we can't even make the comparison. Um, I mean, so far it's been pretty good as of this conversation that we're having. The third episode came out today and um, it's really exciting because I have seen a, you know, it's slow, but I haven't seen an uptick in the subscriber count on my Substack. That means that whoever is subscribing um, knows whenever I release a new episode. Um, I'm not entirely sure yet whether or not I want to keep Substack as my primary uh, podcast hosting service because there are a few things I feel they, you know, they somewhat lack, but it, it will do for now. And um and the responses so far have been very positive. Like, unlike the last podcast, I actually shared this one around like crazy and um, was able to get uh, some feedback from people, even um, people that I know, but I I don't know them too well. They were able to respond and say this, this was great. And I'm like, great, but don't tell me, tell Apple podcasts, <laughs> you know, or something like that. That's, that's where, um, that's where it really helps, you know, this private text, uh, from, from you to me, it's great, but uh, I need you to put that out publicly if you can. Um, but so far it's been pretty good. It's been, it's been promising and, uh, I'm really excited to see where the, the future of it goes. Um, I, I kind of, missed just a little portion of my explanation for why I wanted to go in this certain direction uh, as far as the negativity aspect goes. Is it okay if I share that? Yeah. Do we have time? Yeah, go for okay. it. Okay. Okay. So, you know, like part of it's it. It's my show. Uh, God damn it. We can go as long as we want. <laughs> okay. It's my right, party. Good. I can cry if I want to. Well, you know, I mean, what, what was it? The, the, you and the um, degenerate panel can go on for like two hours. So I don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. So the, the negativity aspect, like consuming so much negativity and um, pessimism and stuff like that, that actually really did start to take a mental toll on me. Um, my, what's kind of funny is my friends noticed it. And when I say my friends, I mean, my Republican friends my Democrat friends, I mean, they they all had like different opinions on di- uh, certain issues. But one thing they um, they all agreed on was that I was going nuts. <laughs> um, and um, they kind of started to see that it was taking a mental toll on me because it was all I was really consuming. Um, I had very little hope for my future. I was scared for um, my family's future. And Are you talking like in, in general because of shit that's going on in the world right in general yeah and so obviously like it was um it was becoming so noticeable to everyone including my wife it really it just dampened um the environment or the atmosphere in um in our home and then i started to get really obsessed with uh the whole thing with like uh, the World Economic Forum's just Nazi ramblings and um you know all their like great reset stuff and that's kind of like when my wife decided you need to stop, you need to calm down. Cause it's not like she, you know, is a doubter of the stuff that, that that's all conspiracy theory and stuff like that. No, she, she's aware that they're you know, insane, um, old, old shitty people, you know, wanting to, um, pull this shit on, on people like us. But the problem was that I wouldn't stop talking about it. I wouldn't stop obsessing over it. You see the autistic connection now just a little bit. It was becoming one of my hyperfixations. And so 
she finally told me in the car um, that uh, on the car on a Sunday morning that she had just, she was just tired of it. She felt like the forest that she knew was just really slipping away. Um, we had already technically had this conversation before and I said I would change, but I didn't. And that's when I kind of started to realize that oh, if this stuff is affecting me to the point where it's causing ripples like this in my marriage, that's crossing a line. That's a deal breaker. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to pull out of this stuff. I'm not going to really look into this stuff much. And I'm going to move forward with the mindset of I'm going to work on creating my own destiny. I'm going to work on having the best life I can. And I'm also going to go with the um, encouraging thought that just because it, that stuff is out there and just because some idiot from the world world economic forum said it doesn't mean it is all set in stone because it's all up to god right i'm a christian so i'm just going to throw that out there it's you know it, it's all like in god's hands as far as i'm concerned so that's kind of one of the reasons why i had to distance myself so much from the negativity so i knew how that stuff um, would affect one's mindset. So through this podcast, I'm hoping that I can help other people's mindsets to be more positive. Um, and so now the types of podcasts I listen to are actually more like comedy driven or even stuff about finances. You know, I'll listen to a podcast episode that talks about how you can not only survive, but thrive in a recession. That doesn't really scare me. You know, I lived through the 2008 recession when my dad lost his job, you know, like um, this stuff has happened before. So I just, you know, I'm trying to change um what I basically consume and I want this podcast to kind of add to the positive um, spectrum when it comes to uh, media and consumption and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're definitely in an area. And, and I mean, I, I started reading the mighty a couple of years ago. I think when we were talking, I, I was the one who recommended that you, that you look them up and reach out yep. because I think your, your content is perfect for what they're doing. And it's mm -hmm. a great opportunity for you to get exposure like, like you have so far. But I, I started reading about them when I started re reading about, um, you know, manic depression, about mm -hmm. chronic pain, about, um, you know, uh, uh, what, what, what's it called when you can't sleep? The guy from fight club had it. Uh, insomnia, you know, I, I, I yeah. was a, I was an insomniac. I, I was, um, you know, I was, I, I still do to a degree live with chronic pain in my neck mm -hmm. and my left shoulder. And, uh, you know, when, when I left, when I graduated from school and, you know, life was not great. Like I, I really fell into a very difficult time in my life. And what I like about the mighty is that, you know, I, I'm not so, so like what you mentioned earlier about the shows that do talk about autism, it's never anybody that has autism. I, mm -hmm. I, I, I understand that to a degree, but I also, you know, I'm also like, you know, just because somebody didn't live through the Holocaust doesn't mean you can't be an expert on it. I think that's kind of like a leftist thing that other people say sometimes. So it's like, well, you don't have the lived experience. However, mm -hmm it felt really good to hear from people that understood what I was going through. And you said right. one word, which is so, so vital, which is community. Because if you don't, if you think you're alone, the worst thing you can do when you're in a very tough spot is to think that you're alone and nobody understands it. 
and that this is a completely isolated moment and you just feel like there's there's no escape and sadly for many people that that is something that happens what i like about that and what i'm really excited to see with your new podcast the pancake king is that finally somebody can say thank goodness somebody understands me because what i really don't admire about a lot of really well-intentioned people is that they they see the they see the issue they understand the solution but that connect between thought and action just doesn't occur uh, I, I remember one time where this really became very obvious for me was when I was trying to bootstrap uh, my first solo documentary where I had a camcorder, an iPhone, and some old recording equipment. And I asked people for money. I was trying to raise $500. I got $50 from a friend. And at the time, that covered gas and a trip to McDonald's. And the entire time people are hearing about what I'm doing and meeting me, they're like, oh, I'm so glad somebody's doing this. This is really, this is really needed. But nobody ever supported me. And the thing that I had to get off the ground was that, listen, I, I have to do this. And luckily... What's great, the one good thing about the internet is that a lot of other people were able to kind of take that message and a lot more people are more successful than I am, which I'm not upset about most of the time. <laughs> but, um, but, but, you know, it's like they, we, we live in a time where if you want to go ahead and create content that you love, if you understand why you're doing it, your first principles, why you're doing it, who you're doing it for, and you're doing it for the best of intentions, the, the sky is the limit. And, uh, I, I think, you know, just, just from when I was looking up similar shows, there, there's no other show like yours. And I think that's important for people to understand whether this stuff matters to you. I think what we should be celebrating is the fact that there is no lack of space in the world for people to find something that they want to talk about or create or share with others and then do it. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And that's my encouragement to, to people on the um, autism spectrum, like through the show, it's like, you can, you can make it, you can, you know, you can do this. You can basically, uh, I mean, what was that, that um, Robin Williams said in uh, Goodwill Hunting, like uh, you were uh, to Matt Damon, it's like, you can do any, whatever you want. You are bound by nothing, you know? So what do you want to do? Uh, actually, I watched that movie like, almost immediately after I moved back in with my parents and that movie made me like cry, man. Cause that whole movie was about a, you know, a kid like literally turning the exact same age I was. Um, and, um, he, uh, and, and like, it was a movie about him finding his purpose, figuring out what makes him, um, unique and what, what he can bring to the world. And that was so inspiring to me. I, I, I totally get it. I'm like that with, a. Uh with the secret life of Walter Mitty, the secret life of Walter, that, that, that movie is that, movie. that, that movie brings tears to my eyes. I, I genuinely love it because I, I felt like very much for a good chunk of my young life. And now that I really think about how much, how much pressure I put on my own shoulders, I should have, if I can go back to 18 year old Remzo, I would tell him to chill out more and to mm. not take things so seriously. But, you know, I felt for the longest time, the biggest crime against myself is to be a passive you know, bystander of my own life instead of actively 
going out and trying things and being thankful for the things I do have when I don't feel grateful. And, uh, you know, I, I, I saw that movie, the secret life of Walter Mitty after not having seen it for about three, three, four years, no, more like six years, six years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, like six years, because I saw it in college, my freshman year of college. And I watched it again in 2020 before I was launching, um, on the run, I just finished uh, two seasons of my TV series, The Witching Hour, which was a big, giant, awesome adventure. But as I was settling in for the podcast, I was like, you know, I gotta, I gotta refocus. Which is, you know, people, people can do the things that they dream of. The difference is how they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm, you know, it's. Uh, this is a total tangent, but I'm going to say it. Um, there, are, there are a lot of other finance people that talk about generational wealth. Um, if I have kids, I don't want to give them anything. I actually want to spend all my money before I die. Because the one thing, no, like I'm dead serious. I've thought about it. I want to spend it all before I die. Because what is the purpose of doing all this preparation? And, and regular on the run listeners might might pick up on this a bit, but like, what's the point of doing all this hard work of doing all this stuff of, of making and raising, investing all this money, if it's not to buy your own time back in life, because it's not, it's not about money. It's about time and what you can do with your time. And I want to do with my time, fun, awesome things I can share with people. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I'm actually, I'm a huge fan of Secret Life of Walter Media myself, like severely underrated movie. And um, what that movie did for me was that it just kind of like reminded me really that life. I went to freaking Iceland because of that movie. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, hey, you have a car? Yes. We have a red one and a blue one. (laughs) um, Such a great moment. There's literally a blue and red. When, when I got when I got off when I got off the plane in Reykjavik, the capital of Iceland, because there's mm-hmm. only one airport in the entire country, uh, yeah. I got picked up in a bus with a bunch of other tourists by a guy who looked like angry Santa Claus, and he kind of just grabbed our luggage and is throwing it in, and he's yelling at my father who was there with me. He's like, "What's he talking about?" I'm like, "I don't know, but we do whatever angry Santa says. We just get in the bus, okay? I don't even know if he's our driver." Uh, yeah, it was it was fun. Yeah, no, it it was such a great movie. It just showed me like to go out there. I mean, yeah, obviously traveling was kind of one aspect, and that's something that I'm kind of doing like in in little ways now. You know, so one of the changes or one of the differences uh, with this podcast as opposed to the last one is that instead of doing every single episode in my crammed little office corner in our apartment, I um I'll go out. You know, like I'll go out and record a conversation with uh, someone at a, at a lo- at our local coffee shop, or there's an episode I did with uh, one of my friends um, whom we know by Blade. Um, you know, we did one. Um, Still not his freaking name. <laughs> it is. Oh, it is. <laughs> I believe it. And um, uh, yeah, we would we recorded an episode by the by the river, by the Mississippi river. We thought that was going to be a failure, but it actually came out sounding great. Um, and we're just doing these little things, you know, like I'm going places, I'm making it feel like a little bit mobile and yeah, it's still within the general area, but give me time. I'll probably start, you know, traveling like a lot further and further and see where it takes me. And, you know, and no, I don't really care about how much gas it's taking me to get place to place. Cause I'll go to Costco where it's the cheapest gas in the area. Absolutely, yeah. We're still below like, as of this, as of this conversation, uh, Costco is not even charging four dollars a gallon, dude. It's amazing, but um, yeah, I just stop at Costco, fill up on gas, and go uh, wherever um, 
I just feel like I want to go. You know, my um, my uh, my wife works at a uh, at a library, so sometimes I'll just go to that one, sit down with my laptop, and just work on stuff, man. You know, I I want to like just be out there more, go to as many places as possible, talk to as many people as possible. I'm talking to more people in this podcast than I ever did in the last one. What so. do you think is the difference? Um, I just oh, um, difference how? Like, well, like, why do you think you're talking to more people now? Was that an intention? Yes, actually. It actually um, was exactly the intention because I just, I want to talk to as many people as I can, um, go to as many places as I can. Uh, You know, I want to be adventurous and I want that to be felt through this podcast. I feel you. I feel you. Well, Forrest, I'm going to go ahead and leave a link to the uh, show on Apple podcast, as well as a link to your Substack account where you do writing as well. And uh, go ahead and send me your, your link to your might to your uh, profile at the mighty.com. I'll include that for listeners uh, for everything else. If people want to chat with you online, you know, get to see more of what you're up to. How can they do so? Yeah. So uh, I do have a uh, Twitter handle. It's kind of funny because um Substack has a feature where it, when you're putting up your latest post or you're putting up your latest podcast, um, you can set it so that it'll automatically post that stuff on Twitter, which is great for me because that means I don't have to touch Twitter. Um, so you'll probably won't like see very many responses from me on there, but you can uh, check me out on the, on my Instagram. It's uh, the pancake King 95 uh, and follow me there where I'll kind of like put up like snapshots where it's, this is where I'm at recording this podcast episode, or um, here's a little like announcement or something like that. Just little things like that. But if you actually want to talk to me, if you want to reach out to me, um, I'm going to say reach out to me on the mighty because honestly, it's becoming a a great resource. That's awesome. Forrest, thank you so much. Thank you. Folks, if you enjoyed conversations like this with Forrest and our other awesome guests, please go ahead and do me a quick favor. It costs you nothing but a few seconds of your time. A five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts gets this message out to everyone across Al Gore's amazing internet. As always, go ahead and follow me on Instagram at OTR underscore Remzo, R-E-M-S-O. And on Twitter at Hey Remzo, H-E-Y-R-E-M-S-O. As always, be safe, be good. Good night. For those of you listeners who know my background a bit, you might remember the stories of my first few jobs after college. From being a mall cop to selling makeup door to door, I realized that I had skills that were being underutilized and that these minimum wage jobs couldn't support me or last forever. I spent years going through YouTube, reading books, listening to podcasts, and taking enough online courses to reinvent myself as a professional copywriter and digital marketer. Years later, thanks to my side hustles and drive, I've worked with national news outlets, multi-million dollar tech startups, nonprofits, and celebrities to build their brands and drive sales. None of this could have happened if I didn't develop in-demand skills. I had to do this alone, but you don't have to. You have Hustlers University 2.0. Hustlers University 2.0 is a community where you can learn real skills to earn money online today, starting with side hustles you can use to elevate your game. I'm not just an advocate for Hustlers University. I'm also a student. Every professor is verified to be making 10K to 500K monthly in their selected field. 
You get full resources, lesson plans, and an active community of thousands of other Hustlers University students working on skills such as stock analysis, cryptocurrencies, e-commerce, copywriting, which was my favorite course, one I actually went ahead and took last month. And as a copywriter of seven years, I even took a ton out of that, including some of the resources I was able to take over to my day job. You also learn freelancing, financial planning, affiliate marketing, business management, and so much more. If you're tired of depending on a boss who hates you to deliver your paycheck or have learned since the lockdowns that controlling the source of your income is vital to your individual freedom, sign up for Hustlers University 2.0 today using the link in the show notes. I'll see you there. Thank you.